It's a tremendous gift to be part of the family of believers, isn't it? Amen, amen and amen. All right. Friends, we get to hear the word of the Lord this morning. Also a joy. Um, if you recall, we are on a series about restoration. We are walking through the book of Matthew, and we're looking at the ways that Jesus came to bring restoration so that we too might be restorers, bring restoration. Um, and so this week we're going to be hanging out in Matthew 12, and I've got verses 46 to 50, and a total aside, I would love to say as much in as few words as Jesus says. <laughs> We've just got such short verses with such good news in it. And so let's read Matthew 12, 46 to 50, and we are looking for the theme of restoration here. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Um, I'm a lover of stories. I love good stories. Anybody else? Books, good movies with good stories. Um, as I think about the, the books and things that have been my favorite over the years, I realized a theme I like the idea of belonging, people finding belonging. So think like Anne of Green Gables and Annie. And this is one of my favorites. Does anybody else know Corduroy? This is currently a favorite in my house as well. We, we read this roughly three times a day right now. Um, Corduroy, if you don't know the story or if we need reminding, is the story of a little bear who lives in a department store. And Corduroy wears these cute little green overalls but one of his buttons is missing. He realizes one day a little girl doesn't adopt him or buy him because he's missing a button. And so Corduroy goes on an adventure through the department store to try to find what's missing. He's looking for his button. And in the end of the day, he doesn't find his button, but the little girl comes back the next day, and she buys him anyway, and she takes him home, and she fixes his button. And Corduroy says, I think I've always wanted a friend. And the little girl says, me too, and corduroy belongs. Now I can see on your faces it's heartwarming, right? It's, a sweet, it's such a sweet story. And I think we love it because we resonate with it. I think if we're honest, deep down, most of us have this sense that something is missing and we just want to belong somewhere. We want to find our people and our place and our purpose and find safety in it. Now, this isn't a strange thing. This is actually part of the human condition. It's how God designed us. He designed us to be looking for belonging, looking for purpose. And so because of the way that he's designed us, he designed this extraordinary system called family. Family is part of God's design. Families are profound things, if you think about it. Family is really what drives identity. 
We find in our families what we value, how we function, what we think about things, how we respond to things. Family drives what sports teams we follow (laughs) and how we celebrate vacations, what we do on holidays. God gave us families for security and safety, too. In an ideal scenario, families are the place where we're safe, where we're provided for and taken care of. Families are places of encouragement, they're places of discipleship, and they're places of grace space to grow and develop. If we grow up in good Christian homes, we are shaped into the, be- the people that God made us to be. Rachel, thank you for your testimony of what God has given you in your family. This is God's plan and ideal for families. And to make all this happen, God gave us guidelines about what family looks like and how we operate, right? How many times in Scripture don't we hear, honor your father and your mother, right? We see it all the time. And then, two, we also see fathers don't exasperate your children. It goes both ways. Throughout Scripture, God has a lot to say about how we love our brothers and sisters, how we are to forgive and honor and encourage, how we're even supposed to correct and love and keep our hearts always open, even in conflict. And so, can you imagine a culture steeped in Scripture that says, honor your family above anything else? An ancient Jewish culture family was right up here with God. And you've got Jesus saying, who's my mom? Like, it's astounding. And, and the mother in me is a little broken about it, you know? <laughs> Who? Who is my mom? This is shocking. And I think really it, it rubs us the wrong way even now, just as it did then. Like, couldn't Jesus have just said, hey, guys, give me a minute. Like, my mom's here. Look, it's my mom. <laughs> mom, meet everybody. But that's not what he does. And it shouldn't have been surprising, because back in Matthew 10, Jesus made the shocking statement, if anyone loves his mother or his brother, his sister or his father more than me, then they're not worthy of me. And so just two chapters later, we've got Jesus in the middle of a crowd, in the middle of a teaching, practicing what he's preaching. And yet... Oh, I bet it was uncomfortable. <laughs> uncomfortable. So we're not sure. Let's, let, let's set this scene a little bit. We're not sure where Jesus is. Um, scholars would guess somewhere in Galilee, close enough for his family to come and see him. But probably they're still a little bit far away. They took a little trip. Now, Jesus has been doing a ton of miracles. Do you remember those several sermons we had where Jesus did just an astounding amount of miracles back to back to back? So he does all these incredible things. And as he's teaching and follow up to these miracles, Jesus is starting to make those statements about who he is. So the crowds are starting to understand this guy says he's the Messiah. He says he's the one that we've been waiting for. This is the one that's supposed to upset the whole system. All of these identity statements about Jesus are being made. And because of it, Jesus has found himself in open conflict with the rulers of the day. Now, we read this and kind of take it for granted because it's the story that maybe we've heard, but the whole world is on fire and Jesus is at the center. Okay? Tons of conflict is happening. And Jesus is teaching. The crowds are growing. The masses are huge. Now, I imagine when I picture this story 
that you've got Mary kind of hanging out back here behind Jesus, like, psst, Jesus. But the reality is there is no, like, stage or back door, (laughs) no, like, VIP entrance for anybody. So you've got Mary and James and Jude probably, like, so far out there past the crowd that Jesus has no idea that they're there. And the crowd is playing telephone, like, hey, tell them to tell them to tell them to tell them that Mary's here. You've got to tell Jesus. Now, this is significantly more disruptive than if one of your phones went off. Right? Like, it, the, whole, the crowd is sending a memo that the family is here. And so Jesus has this profound opportunity to teach a lesson. So Jesus says, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? These ones. These ones who stand beside me, who pray for you, who do the work that I do. These ones. They're my mother and my brothers. Now, why on earth does Jesus say what he says? Because, again, like, my mom heart is kind of like, oh, I hope my kid would make, make room for me, right? Like, it's shocking. But I want us to think about it through this lens. Now, imagine a heart surgeon is in the middle of an open heart surgery. This is life and death, very serious. And in the middle of this surgery, an orderly walks in, in the room and says, Doctor, your wife's on the phone. Can you take a call? Now, Mary's praying that doctor doesn't take that call, right? We all are. This is life and death, friends. And for Jesus to preach the gospel to a crowd of sick people, when his words, his presence are the solution, this is as serious as a heart attack. It is life and death to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is not time for distraction. And there's also not time for any kind of false motivation that would pull away from what's so important. Scripture makes clear that at the time that Jesus roamed the earth, his two brothers, Jude and James, were neutral at best about his ministry. They weren't disciples. They weren't up in front walking with him. So the reality is that because of all this conflict, scholars assume that James and Jude and Mary were there to tell Jesus to sit down. Jesus, we're, we're, we're from Nazareth. We're carpenters. We do not light the world on fire. Don't you know you're going you're gonna to get punished at some point for what you're doing? Please just come home and stop causing all this chaos. Jesus will not be distracted, even by his family, even by his mother. Now, one has to wonder, how was Jesus so resolute in what he was doing that he would say what he said and keep going with preaching instead of kneeling to his family, even for a minute? And the text doesn't say it, but I think we see it in other places in Scripture. Jesus says, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. And so what you've got is Jesus so acutely aware of what his Father is doing, with such wisdom and discernment, that he's looking for what God is doing, and he stays the course. Trusting 
that God is good in everything that falls away. God will tend to Mary's heart. And we see later that Mary followed Jesus around. She, she was fine. God takes care of what Jesus can't take care of at the moment. So you've got Jesus working together with his Father through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and together they're telling us something. They're telling the crowd something, and I think they're telling us something this morning. And I think it's two things. And I think the first one is so obvious. God's business is the most important business on earth. It's life and it's death. The hard truth is that when we've got this desire to belong and it's so (laughs) present that we align ourselves with agendas or priorities or groups of people that are not about God's business, there's a word for that in Scripture, and it's idolatry. Like, that's heavy. This isn't just like a who I hang out with on a Friday night thing. I've heard many a story of people who went onto the mission field even though their parents were deeply discouraging of it. People who go to church who just wanted different for their kids. There are other cases, I think, where our need to belong has us aligning with friend groups who are bent more on the things of the world than what God wants. There are times when even those who love us the most have desires that have been bent a little bit, and we go that way rather than keep our eyes on what God is calling for and what God is doing. And when we do that, it's really serious. And this happens in the church. As we noted, one scholar that I did some research with said that proximity to Jesus does not equate with relationship. To Jesus, And that's what he's asking for. Be in that relationship with me so that you can see what I'm doing and we can do it together. So that's the hard part of the text. Now this is the beautiful part. Are you ready? Okay. Families on this earth are broken. Some of us have really healthy Christ-following families with much goodness to share. And some of us have really hard, really broken situations. And even at best scenario, there's still a lot of pain in our families, right? Jesus is coming to restore it. He's coming to restore the needs that we have that are met in family because he wants to meet them. Because he's good. When we put God's business first, like his business is so good for all of us. So Jesus wants us to rethink families. Now this is really, really hard. He wants to restore us to actually do what he tells us to do in the word. And you know what he tells us to do? Forgive one another. No matter what. Keep our hearts open to one another, even when it hurts more than we've got words for. And all we want to do is hide. 
Scripture tells us to honor one another above ourselves. Like, can you imagine if we loved one another in a church with the same ferocity with which we love our mothers and our fathers and our brothers and our sisters? Scripture tells us to to pray for one another, to celebrate one another, to encourage one another. Family is the place we find our identity to shape that for one another. And all of it culminates into God's purpose. And we've been singing about this, this this whole morning, right? Like God resurrects us. There is nothing better than him. And so all the needs that we try to meet in places that aren't of the Lord are actually met perfectly as we bind together with our Father. Scripture says that we love because he loved first. And the principle behind that is we can't give anything we haven't already received. And so I believe that in in cases where families don't love well, you've got generations of a poverty of love. Where people didn't receive love well, so they can't give love well. And so this, this is the crux here. Scripture tells us that we are children of a loving perfect father and as we press into that love and into that relationship with him we receive love that's perfect love that accomplishes all the things that we want in our relationships and from that place we get to overflow overflow into one another with perfect love i don't know about you but that's like i want that more than anything that we would love one another well. And so this morning, I think we've got this invitation into what Scripture calls koinonia. Can you say koinonia? Koinonia. Yeah. Pastor Dave has a lot more to say about koinonia than I do. I'm I'm just learning these things. But koinonia is about how in our fellowship with God in the Spirit, we do fellowship with one another. And together it's like this nebulous Holy Spirit force where we're united in purpose and good things happen. Like it's this synergetic, man, I don't even know, words escape. But as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about my favorite family memories. And my favorite family memories are the ones that we're all doing the same thing together, right? Like when you get like 35 cousins playing sardines at night. It's the greatest thing ever, right? When we're doing projects, right? Like my brothers and I helped my dad build a deck one summer. Something about that. When we're all united in the same purpose, each one has their their role, their gift, whatever they're doing, and we come together. It's not what we see in the world often, is it? But I think it's what God wants to restore in us as his body. And so I'm going to close, and I'm going to invite the worship team up, and I'm going to pray for us. But we're going to sing a song called I Will Follow. And some of us are ready to sing that joyfully. Like, man, I'm hungry for that. I know what that means for me. And for others of us, we might need to do some chewing and ask the Lord, Lord, what, what do you have to say to me about my priorities? About what you have for me and how I view family? And so... Feel free to join in and respond, but stay with the Lord just as Jesus did.
or how he would have you respond to his invitation this morning. And so let's pray. God, this whole morning I've been so struck by your goodness that even in this world of brokenness and broken relationships, there is not a single thing that you have not already provided a solution for, a fix for, and a heal for. God, I thank you that by your love, we can love one another as you do. And we can see the world receive your love. So Lord, I lift up this body, all of us together. I say, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to know you as Father, Abba, in the deepest places. Help us to know you as the Father we didn't know we needed, that we didn't dare to hope for. And Lord, help us to have your heart and your love for one another. Lord, help us to share in your purpose of bringing restoration to the earth. Lord, let your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen.